In a previous career, he served people and saved lives. Then he changed careers, and now he's serving people and saving lives. He's also an author. He wrote this book, The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. His name is Pastor Nelson Mercado, and this is our conversation. Nelson, thanks so much for joining me. Great to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So we, we're going to talk about the book you wrote, mm-hmm. The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. It's a great book. We'll get to that soon. Let's, okay. let's begin talking about you. Now, here's, right. I, I know a little, and I hope to know a lot more. You spent a little time living in Puerto Rico. You lived in the big city of Philadelphia for a while. Today you are a pastor. Let's go back to the beginning. Where do you spring from? Well, I, uh, I was born Catholic. And, you know, I was uh, Catholic until about 18. Um, was born in Jersey, but we moved to Puerto Rico when I was about eight. Okay. Um, That's a big move for a kid, moving to another culture, another Well, you know, I mean, I, I, grew up, I grew up uh, speaking Spanish at the house. Yeah. So, so was it a big move? No. Um, my dad had moved to Puerto Rico uh, to start his own business. He was a cabinet maker. Okay. So he went over there. He spent some time there. So for some time, it was just my mom and my brother and, and myself okay. in, in Jersey. And so at some point, you know, when, he, when we were ready, we all moved to Puerto Rico and, um, you know, rented a house there. And yeah, but from J- Jersey to a Caribbean island. Jersey. Well, you know, um, again, uh, it's the co- still, I was, grew up in that culture, culture. anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't really a big deal, although... Um, I, I realized quickly, even though I had spoken Spanish at the house growing up, when I got to Puerto Rico, I had to go to the special class, I remember, in third grade, because I couldn't roll my R's and all those things, and so I had to sort of learn a little bit about uh, uh, Spanish, but yeah. uh, it was interesting, I remember that. So you were in Puerto Rico for a while. How old were you when you came back to the, to the So I was there US? for 10 years, so I was 8, and so I, I joined the Navy um, around 18, um, I was in the Navy Reserve, but and so I once I, d- I did my my training in the Navy, I came back uh, from training and married my wife, my girlfriend, who now is my wife, in uh, 1990. And so from there, we moved to Philadelphia. All right, the big city. The big city. Well, you ended up getting into a career of service and saving lives and helping people in distress. Tell me about that. Well, it wasn't immediately, uh, but because I was in the Navy. Um, Mind you, I, I joined the Navy because in college I was studying electronics. And so I joined the Navy with the intention of finding a, a additional training in electronics. God had a, a different plan. Yeah. So I, I actually ended up in the medical field, which I didn't think ever I would do that. I became a hospital corpsman in the Navy. And so uh, through the Navy, I received training to become an EMT. And so uh, when, I, when, I, when my wife and I first got married and I went to Philadelphia, the jobs that I got, well, it was in fast food restaurants. I had to get some work. But uh, once I finished my EMT training, I, I started working in the field uh, as an EMT. And then some years later, I, I had additional training and became a paramedic. And by the way, thank you for your service. Oh, absolutely. We appreciate it. EMT, so on the busy streets of Philadelphia, you must have seen some things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Philadelphia is a very busy EMS system. Uh, too busy, I, in my in my opinion. Um, it was just one call after the other, so you know it's, it takes a toll on you. Um, and I work different shifts. Sometimes we're night shifts, sometimes we're day shifts. So that takes a toll on your sleep. 
But, I, I, you know, I loved it. I, 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 That's what I wanted to do. My dream was I wanted to be a paramedic for the Philadelphia Fire Department, and, and, and I was able to do that. You were able to achieve your dream. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, it, uh, I had times it was frustrating, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I still miss it. I still miss it. I, I, I tell my wife, occasionally I just have dreams that I'm back. I say, I'm back at the squad because uh, I, I always dream that I'm back at the ambulance that, uh, that I was uh, working with my partner, who's still, you know, he's my best friend still. We talk all the time. Well, today you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. You lead a congregation. You're an author. Somewhere along the line, a pretty major transition took place. Before we get to that, let's back up. So you were raised in a church-ish family of, of, on, on some level. You had a religious faith in right. your family. But at some stage in your life, you really internalized your faith in Christ and became a Bible-believing Christian. What happened to initiate that? Tell me about your conversion. Well, you know, I, as a Catholic, I always, even as a Catholic, I always... Uh, felt attracted to the church and to ministry in some ways. I, I remember as a Catholic, I would go to these retreats that the, the, the church held uh, in my early teens, and I remember, you know, thinking about the, the people that were preaching and speaking, and, and, and I always told myself, man, I really would like to do that. I really would like to work for God in some way as a young teenager in the Catholic Church. And so in my early teens, I was involved with youth programs in the Catholic Church and that kind of thing. So I was always attracted to church in some way. But, you know, in Puerto Rico, Adventism is very prominent. It's it's everywhere. And so I had a lot of friends. uh, We would talk and everything. But one in particular, um, I would hang out with him a lot and spend time with him. And and he was a little older than I was. But he had sort of a, a gift that, you know, it doesn't matter what we were talking about. He always had the, the gift of turning the conversation into a spiritual one. And, and at the end of me, when I would leave his house, it's, it's like I had received a Bible study every time I went to his house. And so that's, that started the whole process. I started studying and, and, and learning. Of course, um, my, my girlfriend, who's my wife today, she was already a Seventh-day Adventist. And so I would go to church with her. And, yeah. and, uh, and through that, I, I met other people and received Bible studies and um, and, and eventually uh, uh, became a Seventh-day Adventist, but it wasn't immediate. I mean, I had this, I remember I had this strong um, experience, uh, it was a life-changing experience for me in, in the Catholic Church. Mm, tell me about that. Uh, well, you know, there's, uh, the, the Catholic Church has this charismatic movement. It's sure. sort of a, like very, the Pentecostal very church. Very familiar with it, yeah. yeah. And so I was involved with that, and I remember one particular meeting, it was a Wednesday night, uh, we were meeting and there was a lot of people there, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there was a, a part in the service where they, they darkened the lights and the guy that was speaking started speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And it was a really emotional thing. Everybody in the church was just, somehow, they, everybody was crying and everything. And I'm like looking around and I felt so out of place. And it's as if God was telling me, I've told you this is not where you belong. And everybody starts crying. I start crying too but not for the same reason. Mm. I start crying because I finally realize this is not where I need to be. And so I, uh, um, the service ended, and, and I still was kept, uh, kept on crying. I was, it was agonizing. I couldn't stop crying. And, and it's because I, that, that realization, and that was the, that last time that I, I called myself a Catholic. Now, I didn't become Adventist right away because I was still fighting God in some ways. But. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that experience. Um, how, how, did, how did you feel? Did you feel... When you realize this is this is no longer my home, 
Did you realize, did, did, did you feel hopeful? Did you feel hopeless? Did you feel empty? Were you afraid? What were you processing? I, I think a, a part of it was hopeless. I was sad yeah. because I had, this is what I, I grew up knowing and I was comfortable there. One of the reasons I was comfortable, I mean, I was, like I said, involved in the church and, and liked to, but I had certain liberties. At, at, at least that's how I saw it. So as a, even as a, as, a, as a teenager, I would go to bars and drink and, you know, do all kinds of things that I felt were that was part of life and, and it was fun. And so I understood that I had to do something about the realization that I wasn't in the right place and God was calling me to somewhere else and that I had to make certain changes in my life. And I necessarily wasn't comfortable with that. Furthermore, my family's Catholic. My mom is a really, you know, committed Catholic. And so for me to, to say I'm not Catholic anymore, it, it was just a sort of like a, a, a different person. So in, in that sense, I felt hopeless. And, and again, I didn't, uh, I stopped being Catholic, but I didn't join any other church right away. It took, it took about a, uh, maybe about a year before I did that because I'm still fighting God with what I knew he was already revealing me, but I did not necessarily want to accept it. In other words, I, I didn't want to say, well, I, I stopped being a Catholic because I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I, I did not want to say that. It, it happened eventually, but that's, you know, I didn't want to say that at that moment. Yeah. yeah. So somebody witnessed you, somebody shared your faith, you, you had other strong motivating factors, yeah. people in your life, and then God spoke to you, you realized this is, this is just not for me. That's right. Yeah. So, so how did that process go of finding what you were convinced was that thing upon you, what you wanted to base your life. I'm not really saying the right church, mm-hmm. but, but coming to the, the understanding of the right belief system, mm-hmm. the one that worked for you. Walk me through that experience. Well, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, even while before I had this experience that I told you at the Catholic Church, I, I had already at least somehow unconsciously be convinced, had been convinced of the right system of belief. It's mm-hmm. just that I was fighting against it. Um, because I wanted to stay as a Catholic because I was involved in the church and because that's all I knew. But really deep inside, if I'm honest with you, I had already been convinced that this was not the right place. I think this is why God did what he did with this charismatic movement. He wanted me to realize in, in a sort of an unconventional way, this is not where I want you to be. It's important to understand it's a, it's, it's a real wrench for some people. It is, indeed. When, when you put roots down in a church... It might be a great church. Let's say that the belief system isn't, doesn't entirely line up with the Bible, but good people and wonderful structures and good social services, something you feel like you could be proud being a part yeah. of, and now it's gone. It's gone. And, and, and it's especially true when your family, you know, my parents, my brothers, you know, most of my family are, are, are Catholic. And so I felt like an outsider when I stopped being a Catholic. So, yeah, it is hard. How did they treat you? Were they accepting, or was it a little tougher than that? Well, I'll tell you, by the time I became a Seventh-day Adventist, my grandmother from my father's side, she was the first Adventist in our family. Okay, so she had been an Adventist already. Now, we weren't all that close. She was older, and, and so I, I, I necessarily had talked about faith with her, but she was a Seventh-day Adventist, and I had, I believe, an uncle and his wife that had been coming to church as well. My mom wasn't really happy about this. In fact, when I, when I was baptized, obviously I invited her to the baptism. I wanted her to be there, but she said, nope, you were baptized already. Yeah. And, she, and, and she actually told me, if you become a Seventh-day Adventist, you're going to go live with him. Oh, that's she, what she told me. Really? Well, the irony is that that's exactly what happened. I was baptized in May, uh, May 6, 1989. 
I joined, I went to boot camp uh, in the Navy on June the 5th. And so I finished my training at the end of November of that year, and I got married in February. So oh. technically speaking, I there didn't go see, live with the Seventh-day Adventists. Your mother's prophecy yeah, that's right. turned out to be true. But, you know, afterwards, after that, I think um, she saw the change in my life. And even though she did not necessarily understand everything or agree with everything I believed, she became to accept it because she saw the change in my life and what it had been doing in my life. Yeah, that's a really big thing. What advice do you have for somebody who is new in faith or maybe not so new, have family members who have deeply held spiritual convictions of another kind, Mm -hmm. and yet they want to build bridges uh, rather than walls. What advice would you have for that person? Here's how you winsomely share your faith with someone. Well, you know, I think that the first thing, and I I tell you, I, I made this mistake early on too. I don't try to convince them that my way is right and your way is wrong. Because if you're never going to get anywhere if you're going to try to start an argument. Because it's not about who's right, but what is right. And what is right should change your life, transform who you are. I think uh, the example that you live um, speaks volumes. And so let God work in you in that process of transformation, and your family's going to see that. That's what happened to my mom. Now, some people get impatient, though. Oh, I want to tell them about this doctrine. I want to tell them about this teaching. They really need to know. Mm-hmm. I've been living my life and sharing gently you got to wait on God. to sub, just, There are times to speak. Yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think what we don't see, right, the Holy Spirit working. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of God is working on people. It, he is. Uh, you know, I did the same thing, obviously. I remember when I learned about the second coming of Jesus. I, I, I went to my dad. He was the first guy, the first person that I, I, I said, I, I shared what I was learning. I said, Dad, I, I learned something fantastic. Jesus is coming soon. And he was like, you know, they've been saying that since I was a kid. So, you know, he was just dismissing it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's okay. Uh, uh, I, I think it's important that we share. When I, when I went to the Navy in boot camp, uh, again, new, newly baptized, I remember witnessing to uh, a fellow uh, um, uh, cadet. Uh, I remember his last name, too. Barbosa was his last name. And, and I started sharing him everything I learned. And, and we were having conversations. Eventually, you know, he, he was Catholic, too. So... He, uh, he, he didn't want to believe, but, uh, but I, I just felt, man, this is so good news. I, that, you know, it's, it's like that first love that, right. uh, that we read about in Revelation. That's right. I had that first love, and uh, you know, it's, it's a shame at times that after a while we sort of lose that first yeah. love and that, and that enthusiasm that we have initially to share these things. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we need to all catch that fire again. Absolutely. It's important to remember when you share those are seeds sown. You yeah. cannot unring a bell. People won't unhear what they've heard, but at the same time, they can't unwitness what they've seen about your character when you become uh, a Bible-believing Indeed. Christian. It's important to give people uh, an example of what Christianity can do for you. M- my brother uh, left, left the Roman Catholic Church, of which I was a part, started following these crazy Bible teachings, but the one thing that we couldn't deny, his life was better. He was a better human being. He was happier. He was someone you wanted to be around. He was an example that someone might want to follow. Before, not at all. It's important to let people see how God has changed your life. So, speaking about changed your life, at some stage, you became a pastor. How did that happen? Wow, that's, uh, that's an interesting story. So, I told you that uh, I, uh, I always felt attracted to the church and to, to working for God, even as a Catholic. So, when yeah. I become a Seventh-day Adventist, I... I still had that feeling. Uh, I wanted to do this. I, I would talk to my wife about it, and she was totally opposed to it. 
she, uh, she was Adventist longer than I had. And so, you know, back in Puerto Rico in those days, pastors were moved from districts every two to three years sure. and that kind of happened. Yeah. And so she didn't like that. So she didn't want that for her family. So she was totally opposed. She said, I didn't marry a pastor. This is not what I want for, for our lives. So even though I sort of felt that, I didn't pursue it because, you know, this is not something that, that she wants. But in 2006, God worked on her. Mm. We went to a, a marriage retreat, and the couple that was uh, speaking in the marriage retreat, he was a second career pastor, and he, they, they both gave their, their testimony of how God worked in their lives and, and how happy they were now they're in ministry. And on our way home, she said to me, you know, if you want to be a pastor, I'll support you. And from there on, she actually became my, my biggest cheerleader in, yeah. in supporting me. And that's when the test of faith came. Because now that she said yes, or what are you going to what are you going to do about it, Nelson? Are you going to really pursue this? Um, and it was it wasn't an easy thing. I I, I wanted what is it, my cake and eat it too. Yeah. So I wanted to continue working as a paramedic and 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 see if I could become a pastor. I, I explored uh, doing long distance uh, training uh, at uh, South uh, Southwest is it Southwestern Southwestern in, in Texas, and they yeah. offered a, a long distance. Um, but we, we decided, uh, we had been talking about moving to the south anyway, so we decided, well, let's go visit Southern Adventist University and college. Let's see what it looks like, what they have to offer. And I had a friend here who was a professor uh, in, at Southern, so we came and took a look at it. And I remember I spoke to Dr. Carlos Martin, uh-huh, sure. and, um, and he told me, well, yeah, listen, these, these long-distance programs are good and everything. But if you want to learn how to swim, you got to get in the water. Right. And and that convinced me. Okay. Well, I guess I if I'm going to do this, I got to I got to come here and do it. Biggest step of faith I had to do because this was in 2008. You were leaving the city that you called home. You're going to leave a career. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pay for four years of college. Yes. So you I'm got still some, paying for. Yeah. It. There you go. <laughs> got some mountains to climb. Indeed. So how do you process these really big decisions? It's easy to be. Uh, idealistic, will follow Jesus. And and I'm not dismissing that, but idealism has got to become practicality. Mm-hmm. How are we going to do this? Is there enough leather on the bottom of my shoes to be able to walk this walk this road? How do you start processing? How, how do you go from an idea to a decision to implement? It, it, it? wasn't it wasn't easy. It took uh, uh, some time, my wife and I, to think about it. The good thing about it is my wife was on board with this because, I, as I said, she became my, even when I, at this stage, when I would have doubts, she would be the, the one encouraging me. No, I think God is calling to you to this. We need to do this. Um, and so it was, we were back and forth talking about it. At some point in 2008, at the beginning of the year, she had gone to Puerto Rico to spend Christmas with her family. When she came back, I had made the decision, listen, if we're going to do this, we just got to do it. So we, did, we plan. you're going to move to Chattanooga next month. You're going to quit your job. You're going to move over there. Because we had this friend that lived in, here in Chattanooga. So you know, she would stay with him until finding an apartment. We had, a, we had a whole plan. Listen, you're going to move over there, get a job, so that in three months I would join you in May. And, and I can get in, uh, the health insurance. Uh, we need to sell the house by May. Um, and so we had it all planned out. If we're going to do this, go. And so she did. All right. She took my, our daughter, she, uh, my daughter and her went. I stayed with my son uh, in Philadelphia to arrange for the selling of the house. Of course, we had prayed over this. If this was going to work, God had to do every single thing in our prayer in, in order for this to work. And, exa- and it worked exactly like we prayed about it. I'm looking forward to learning just how it worked out, and I know you are too. 
Uh, he is Pastor Nelson Mercado, a pastor and author, a second career pastor. I'm John Bradshaw. We'll be right back in a moment with more of our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. Itiswritten.study. Go further. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. My guest is Pastor Nelson Mercado, who a moment ago told me that he was going to go off and study for the ministry if everything worked out perfectly. Several things that had to fall just in place. How how did that all work out? So this was 2008. If you remember, that's where the economy crashed. Uh Um, People were losing their jobs and, uh, uh, you know, you couldn't sell a house. It, It was just terrible. Furthermore, I remember bringing this up to my best friend. And he was so angry at us because we were taking this step. How are you going to do this? You're going to leave your security behind and go. I don't think this is God's will for you. And so, and, and he was my best friend. I valued his input very much. And so I was struggling with this. But if we were going to do this, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's see what God's going to do. Sure. Um, so the idea was my wife would go to Chattanooga, get her job there. And, and hopefully within the first three months, she would get her time to get health insurance so that I, when, I, when I resigned my job in May, I would have health insurance, okay? And so she did. She went over there. She moved to Chattanooga and got an apartment. I sent the furniture right away. And so I, I, I was left in the house with just a few things, my son and I, because we sent the furniture, everything. She got a job. Uh, but the biggest thing would be the sale of our home. Yeah, sure. And during the because, GFC. Yeah, because, you know, I the plan was that I wanted to be in Chattanooga by the end of May because I wanted to start classes in summer here at Southern. Yeah. So if that was going to happen, I had to sell a house because I couldn't afford paying rent and paying a mortgage at the same time. Right. Now, again, 2008, I remember around my neighborhood, there were houses that were nicer than mine. That the price, the asking price, were about the same as mine, and they had been in the, in the market for months. No, no, they were, they were Nothing selling. selling. And here I am now. I have to put this house on the market, and if and if this is going to happen, it has to sell by a certain date in May because right. it's for this to work out. It sold in seven weeks. My house, even though the nicer houses around weren't selling, my house sold in seven weeks. In, in the nick of time, so that it allowed me to get everything that I needed to do and resign my job and move to Chattanooga in, at the right time so that I could start looking for work and have something by the time classes started in September and in, in, in the summer. How reassuring was that? I mean, you had to look at that and say, this can only be a miracle. That could only oh, be absolutely. God. So absolutely. So what, what, what did that do for your resolve about your decision to go and, and embark on a whole new career as a pastor? Well, when I think about it now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. they tell you, but just what God was doing, it reaffirmed to me and my wife that, that he was calling us to ministry because he made it all work out, exactly how we needed it to work out. You know, 
in 2008, the cost of living, the energy cost, it, it was about the same in the North than in the South. Our income was cut by 60% when we came down here. Ooh. And we, we, but, but think about this. We were still able to send our children to, to the Adventist schools. I was studying it at Southern. I didn't have a full-time job, so I, I was still working as a paramedic part-time, and I also worked as a medical interpreter part-time to sort of make, make ends meet. And so I did that, went to school. In, the, in this whole process, we were able to buy a house while I'm, I'm, stu- I'm a student here at Southern, sent our kids to Adventist schools. I graduated in four years, mind you. I, I, didn't think, I, I, I thought that it would take at least six because I had pre- previous credits when I went to college in, back in the 80s, but I didn't think Southern was going to accept them because that had been more than 10 years. Right. They took every one of the credits um, and, and so as it all turned out, even though at the first three years I was a part-time student, I was able to complete my degree in four years, graduated summa cum laude. Fantastic. And, and so this is all God's doing. Yeah. So it just really confirmed that this is where he wanted us to be. Yeah, it's wonderful to have a confirmation of your call to ministry. Indeed. So that today, you know, if, if, you, if you're in the middle of a ministry situation, things are challenging, you don't have to say, did God lead me or not? You yeah. know he led you. Outstanding. Yeah, indeed. Hey, let's talk about this book you've written, The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. Now, this is, uh, this is not the ABCs. This is, this is diving in the deep end a little bit in terms of uh, the teachings of the Bible, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that very much. The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. So let me ask you this. What's Present Truth? Well, Present Truth, it is the last day message that God wants uh, his people to proclaim uh, to the world to pre- uh, be prepared to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the present truth, God's end time message. Yeah. And, and we talk about the three angels' messages. I've certainly spoken about them a lot on, on It Is Written. And as a pastor, you would reference the three angels' messages a lot. So let, let's, let's assume somebody is unfamiliar with what the three angels' messages are or who the three angels are. How would you begin to explain that? Well, you know, obviously in, in the book of Revelation, there are many angels doing different things. Sure. But what we find in Revelation 14 with the three angels' message is three distinct messages that are there to prepare us for what we know is coming before the coming of Jesus. See, God is interested, and in, just like in the days of Noah, I remember, you know, we told that Noah preached 120 years preparing the world, the then world for that flood. Yeah. God wanted to save them. And, uh, and so God wants to save us. You know, he wants to save everybody. And so, you know, there, there are things happening. Just before Jesus comes, things that we are to expect. And so these three messages, these, these three angels have specific messages about what's important to God so that we are prepared to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we've called it, this is the, the last day message to prepare a world for the second coming of Christ. It's interesting how those messages begin, kind of not not exactly in the middle, but deep in the heart of the book of Revelation. John said, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, indicating this is something that should be seen. See, yeah, uh, in the midst of heaven, yeah. that's a point. Another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting, everlasting gospel. gospel. So, boy, that's a sign that something's important mm-hmm. to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, that's a whale of a setup. Indeed. This is God saying, this is really important. Why is the messages of the th- why are the messages of the three angels so important? 
Well, you know, it, it starts, the first angel starts with the gospel, the everlasting gospel, because Jesus is foundational. You know, if we don't build upon Jesus, everything else just crumbles around. And so the gospel is going to be proclaimed now. You know, part of what I, I share in the book is, uh, you know, okay, well, it seems logical the gospel is going to be preached. So what is the gospel? And so most people will say, well, you know, Jesus died for our sins. And, and of course, that's foundational. But what we find in Scripture is something that God left that was the object lesson to the gospel message. What was that? That's the sanctuary message. Mm, The sanctuary message, when we look at what happened in the sanctuary, there were three great acts in the sanctuary. You had the the, the death of the sacrifice. Then you had the the ministry of the priest, the transfer of sin to, to to the tabernacle, and then the final removal of sin. That, all those three things, are part of this object lesson of the plan of salvation. What we see, unfortunately, happening is that part of the gospel is being proclaimed. I, I would say it's, it's an incomplete gospel. Yeah, tell me why. Because uh, most, uh, most of our, our Christian friends are, are preaching the gospel only until the death of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the, the death of the sacrifice, that's it. Jesus died for our sins. That's the end of the gospel message. It right. isn't the end of the gospel message. Because, now, because everything is about Jesus. Now Jesus becomes our priest. Just like the priest in the tabernacle took some of that blood of the sacrifice and either ate uh, uh, the, the sacrifice or, or sprinkled that blood in, inside the, uh, the, the holy place there in the, in the tabernacle. Um, and then at the end of the year, there was that day of atonement when, the, the, when finally the, the, the sanctuary was cleansed. It was the day of judgment. The, sun, the sins were removed from uh, the sanctuary. This all pictured what Jesus, after Jesus uh, died and resurrected, he went to heaven to serve as our priest. And, uh, and right now, uh, we believe, of course, that, that he is carrying on what we know as the, 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 the investigative judgment that has to do with the Day of Atonement. Interesting you talk about priests because you, you talk about our, our mutual faith background. There were priests, mm-hmm. and uh, you would go to the priest, particularly for, for confession, confession and, yeah. and, and cleansing of sin. But what you're pointing out is that the priesthood that is really relevant today is the priesthood in heaven. Indeed. Yeah, Okay. Well, let's walk through the messages of the three angels a little bit. We don't have to get too terribly in-depth. Uh, it's a little more in-depth than the book, The Present Truth and the Three Angels Messages. So I would recommend you get the book. It's a great book. We get the book on Amazon, I'm sure. Amazon and uh, Adamantus Book Center. ABC. So you, if, if you want to find the book, you will. Uh, the Present Truth and the Three Angels Messages, Pastor Nelson Mercado. So let's get into this. First angel, fear God, give glory to him. Does God want us to be afraid of him? Fear God? No, fear. Uh, uh, reverence him. And because of who he is and what he has done, choose to obey him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when you look, read the book, you, you, you find that I, I spent a lot of time. In fact, you know, the first six chapters, I believe, are in the first angel's message. Because, um, because I look at the sanctuary and what it has to do with the everlasting gospel. It's interesting that that last part of the Day of Atonement, when the, uh, the priest would finally come from the most holy place and place his hands on a scapegoat, symbolically transferring the sin to the scapegoat, and the scapegoat was led away into the desert. Yeah. We, what we see there is a picture of what happens after the 1,000 years of Revelation 20, and mm-hmm. Satan, of course, eventually is destroyed. But before that, the second coming happens. The second coming is before the millennium. And so I, I, I looked at the second coming as, as part of the first angel's message, all right? The manner of the coming of Jesus. Why the manner of the coming of Jesus is important? Because we know there's going to be deceptions regarding it. And so I, I spend time in that, and then I discuss the, the millennium. And then, of course, we look at uh, the first angel's message, which 
uh, uh, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of judgment has come. So now we have to look at the judgment. What is the judgment? And, and, and what is the judgment? When, how do we know the judgment has started? When it has started? So I spent three, uh, two chapters there looking at what the judgment is. When did it start? Fascinating thing about the second coming of Jesus. If you go back not very far in Christian history, pretty well everybody had it right. Mm-hmm. Jesus will come back at the end. The dead in Christ will rise off to heaven. That's that. But somewhere between then and now, Christianity has become very, very confused. Yes. I, I, I don't want to spend all my time knocking what other people believe, but I, th- there's such confusion about this. How did we get to the state of confusion? And why, when the Bible is so clear... Do so many people choose to stay confused? Well, specifically about the second coming of Christ, I I was just uh, on my way here. I had been having this conversation online with a a former uh, Adventist who uh, disagrees on a number of things. And and this past Sabbath, as a matter of fact, I preached because I I have a a sermon series that's based on the book. And so I was preaching on the second coming, the matter of the coming of Christ. And so I, I talk a little bit about the secret rapture. And the reason for it is because it is the most popular belief today among Christians. That's right. And so, you know, it's important. I think we become familiar with what it is. And he sends me a video. Oh, yeah, yeah, this will answer you uh, about the seven-year tribulation. And I, I talk about that in the message, where the seven years come from, which is Daniel 9. And, and, and so... Um, but, you know, people have become confused. I think one of the reasons is because a lot of us, uh, Christians and non-Christians, don't, they don't read the Bible. They choose to get their information from other sources. You know, there are uh, the Left Behind series, uh, uh, these series of books that you find in any Christian bookstore, and they've made movies about it. And so what people do is they, they look at these books, they look at these movies, oh, you know, that's how it is. This is how Jesus is going to come. So they're getting their information from the wrong source. And I I think that's where the confusion comes from. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really difficult once somebody has made that decision to unconfuse a person, unless they're really seriously looking. Maybe it's that I'm here, I'm comfortable, I'm with my people, don't bother me now, Mm -hmm. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I think it should be the burden of every heart. I want to know all the Bible says Mm -hmm. as clearly as possible so I can follow Jesus 100%. Yeah. Unfortunately, not everybody is not there. Not everybody's doing that. Okay, so the first angel goes on and says this. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the seas, the fountains, and waters. Everybody's big on worship. Yeah. I mean, what church doesn't have a worship team or a worship leader? Worship, 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 which is good. I mean, not against that. But right there, there's a call to worship. What's distinct about this call to worship in the three angels' messages? Well, you know, I think that uh, it's no accident that God is bringing out the fact that he is the creator. I mean, why do we, why do we worship God in the first yeah, place? Because he's the creator. Because he's the creator. Sure. If he didn't create us, then we have no reason to do anything for God. Correct. So if, God, if the only thing God did for us is create us, he deserves our worship. He mm-hmm. deserves our loyalty because he's our creator. And so I think in, in a time we're living, where even many Christians have compromised this, the they, they look at this theistic evolution. You know, there's a compromise between evolution and, and Christianity. They want to insert God somehow. Uh, and many people are buying into this, that this, you know, this science thing. Oh, we've got we to gotta reconcile with science. The people have forgotten that God is to be worshipped. You know, Revelation is, is specific about worship. Worship is, is the issue, the main issue in, in the end of time. Right. And so God calls us to worship to remind us that he is the creator that he is sovereign, that, that we all owe our loyalty and allegiance to him. And, and of course, 
part of the, the, the first angel's message is this issue of he who made uh, heaven and earth. Yeah. You know, he borrows, John borrows from Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 20, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment specifically on yeah. the Sabbath, the memorial of creation. And so it's no accident that people have forgotten that God is their creator because they've forgotten the memorial. The one thing he left to remind us that he is the creator. And so I, I think it's, it's interesting that God saw fit to be that, that, that part of a message of, of the truth is part of this end time message because people have forgotten why we serve a God. He's quite specific there, isn't he? In, in Revelation, you bring this out in your book, God calls us to true worship. He calls us to the, the, the seventh-day Sabbath, mm-hmm. which is another of those things in the Bible. Very clear. Very clear. If you started the Genesis 1 and started reading, you'd get about 30 verses in, and you'd say, I found the Sabbath. It's very clear. It's spelled out right there in the Bible. Yet again, there's a lot of resistance. Even people who will say to you, oh, Nelson, you're right about that Sabbath, but still not feel drawn to, to surrender their hearts. What do you think has to happen for a person to, to, to come to the point where they say, Yes, the seven-day Sabbath is important to God, and I want to keep that. How does a person get to that place where they're willing to yield to God on that point? Well, you know, part of the, 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 this worship God, how do we worship God, how do we fear God? We do this by obeying Him, by doing by what, what pleases Him. Jesus says clearly, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yes, He right? said that. Yeah. So, so our, our love for Him should motivate us to, to please Him and to do whatever uh, he asks of us. Uh, I think that a lot of times we think about us. We, uh, how is this going to affect me? Well, if I start keeping the Sabbath, that means that uh, maybe I can't work overtime, or I can't do this on that on Sabbath. So you you you're automatically people automatically think about what they can't do, instead of what they can do and what they enjoy. If you if you look at the chapter on the Sabbath in the book, I don't spend a lot of time on that chapter in the theological issues, but more in a practical. Why is the Sabbath such a blessing? To me specifically, and I share some of the stories of, uh, of how it's, it was just such a blessing to me. And this is what God wants us to do, you know, to have this blessing. Because what, what is awesome to me is that the God that created heaven and earth wants to spend time with me. Yes. And that he intentionally created a date. I want to spend time with Nelson. And yes. this is the day, every seventh day. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and the Bible says the Sabbath was made for man, yeah. for the human family. For our welfare. So, so God said, I've got something for you. It would seem to me that if God designed it, God made it, God gave it, it's got to be good. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. And it is good. I mean, it's the day of joy. And when we, I, I think when we begin to see it that way, even us uh, uh, that keep the Sabbath, a lot of times we think about, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. Maybe we were looking at our watch until sunset so we can go back to our lives. When we begin to see the Sabbath as it, it's meant to be, to spend time with God, and you know, spend time with our families too. Yes. Because we become so busy that even, even by living in the same household with your family, sometimes maybe your shifts are opposite and the kids are doing this and that. During the week, you don't see each other. Mm-hmm. And so the Sabbath too provides us that opportunity to, to unwind, not only spending time with God and with the church family, but with our family at home doing things together, even if it's just sitting on the couch talking, just spending time with them. And and that's what the Sabbath is about. That's why it's such a joy. Amen. Amen. In the book, Pastor Mercado goes a little further and discusses the other two angels' messages of the three. 
One angel says that Babylon has fallen, and another angel warns us against receiving the mark of the beast. We'll find out what that means in just a moment. This is Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Thanks for being part of this conversation with Pastor Nelson Mercado, the author of The Present Truth and The Three Angels' Messages. And we've been discussing not just Pastor Mercado's journey to faith in Christ, his journey to pastoral ministry, but also those three angels' messages. We're up to message number two. Mm-hmm. And here's where they start to get a little confrontational. Indeed. Second angel says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. So how do we go about understanding that? Well, you know, it's uh, interesting that even as I'm writing this book, I always struggled with the second angel's message. Uh, and the reason for it is because I could not understand what did the fall of Babylon, Babylon, that mighty empire, Nebuchadnezzar, we know the Medo-Persians conquered them. Yeah. What did that have to do with, uh, with the, the, the end time message? Why yeah. was that re- uh, relevant? And so it, it took me a time, so well, what do I have to do? I had to go deep inside in the Bible and say, well, where's, what's Babylon? What does it stand for? You go back to Genesis and the Tower of Babel, uh, Babylon, this ba- Babel, which means confusion. Um, and the history of what Babylon does, Babylon, of course, uh, the enemy of God's people. Yes. And so as, as, I, as I do this research, I find that Babylon is just this, obviously a symbol of a counterfeit system that, that opposes God, and it, it's the enemy of his people. And, and the, this concept that Babylon is fallen Notice that, that the way it says it, it says it with a, with a, it says like a statement of fact, of certainty. You know, it, it may seem that Babylon is going to triumph, but don't worry. God says it's fallen. You can take this to the bank. That's an interesting point. That second angel's message, not just calling out Babylon, is an encouragement to people who are hanging in there with God mm-hmm. that there's only one way forward, and that's through faith in Jesus. Yes, yes. Yeah, fascinating. So how, how then, you've, you've got that in the New Testament, Babylon has fallen. What you're saying is you went back to the Old Testament yes. to try to understand what the New Testament Babylon was. Well, why would you do that? Well, I mean, two-thirds of Revelation, it's just simply borrowing from Old Testament. Yeah, true. So you have to understand the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel, if you're going to understand Revelation. And, you know, I think that's part of a, you know, what a Bible student does. You, you have to compare passages with passages. And the Bible is a complete, offers a complete picture. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you can't expect at times, you know, sometimes God reveals to you something to you right away. But at times he wants you to take the time and dive in carefully and study what he wants you to do. And so it took a little bit of time to understand, okay, what's the role of Babylon, this concept of Babylon in the end of time? What I'm really encouraged about what you said, one thing I like is this. You come to what may even be an impasse in the book of Revelation. What's that? And God says... The answers are all there in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to be 
smarter than anyone or more creative than anyone. But but it's a matter of going to look where God put the answers and finding the answers. The answers for the big Bible questions are in the Bible. You found that. Well, and you know, I remember when I was um, um, meditating on what I was going to write in this chapter. I, I remember I was in the kitchen. I'm praying to God, Lord, you know, uh, this is obviously important, but I'm just not sure what direction am I going to go. But as God started revealing things to me, if you, if you look at the book, the chapter on Babylon, the second angel's message, is the longest chapter mm. in the book. Because God started to reveal things to me that, wow, I, I never saw this this way. When it talks about uh, the fornication of Babylon, the wine of the fornication, and what is the fornication? You know, these, these false teachings that Babylon's it's spreading into most of Christianity beliefs today. And so you've got you to gotta look into what are these fornications? What are these false teachings that are going out there? So you've got to explore those. And you, you find things like... Um, Obviously, the state of the dead. Yeah, let's talk about that for a moment, because you you talk about the the, the false teachings. And again, we want to say this with respect, but boy, we want to say it. Um, These teachings are deeply embedded throughout Christianity. It's not that everybody believes it, but man, the vast majority of churches are teaching, for example, well, let's talk about death for a minute. Mm -hmm. What have you you discovered? Well, obviously, the Bible is very clear. You know, I... (laughs) You mentioned the fact that Bible is very clear on a number of subjects. Sometimes yeah. we become so blind that we don't see what's there. But death is uh, obviously this, this this sleep. You know, God, we, we we're sleeping unconscious sleep until Jesus comes. I mean, there's there's no if and ands or buts about it. It's very clear. However, what we find is that uh, paganism somehow has gotten uh, mixed up with Christianity, and now Christianity is holding on to some pagan concepts about what happens when a person dies. And, you know, when we look at a, a Revelation, in particular later on in Revelation 18, where we see the role of spiritualism yes. in end times, and this is one of the tools, I would say, that Satan is going to use to deceive people. It is all rooted in, the, in what that, that original lie that he told Eve back there in Genesis, you shall surely not die. And so this is part of, of Satan's arsenal. And so we need to bring the truth. I think that's why God has it in there, because he wants people to, to have a right concept of what happens when you die, because he doesn't want you to be deceived. Yeah, okay, so, so I've got a question. First, a, a statement and then a question. Um, the statement, Jesus spoke about Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. He'd been dead for days. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, our friend Lazarus is asleep. asleep. There's the, 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 like you said, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It's really very, very clear. Satan didn't need to try to deceive people on this or that or the other. What I'm saying is he could have chosen whatever he wanted. Why do you think it was important to the devil to go after the subject of death to deceive people on that subject? People often believe more what their senses can pick up. I remember having this conversation years ago with a co-worker, and uh, he told me, well, you know, if I see it, why shouldn't I believe it? Oh, interesting. Right. Well, but, but because the Bible says so. See, the Bible should be our, our manual. This is where we are to be founded. And, and how we view life, our perspective should be grounded on thus says the Lord. And so when, but because people are more willing to, to believe what they see, what their senses can perceive, and, and obviously what they find in Hollywood when they see in the movies, oh, yeah. it's easier to believe. That's easier to believe. Uh, you know, there's also part of this, you probably have heard the fact that, you know, family members that, that have had a, a person that died, oh, it comforts me to know that, you know, my family is in heaven sure. watching over me. Yeah. And, and that sounds very nice, but when you really analyze that, does that really make sense? Frankly, it's You creepy. know, uh, 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 the Bible tells us that in heaven there's going to be no more tears. I mean, you're not going to be suffering for anybody when you're in heaven. 
But I, I know that if I were in heaven right now, and if I had died and, and watching what's going on on earth and maybe witnessing the suffering and the pain that my family may be going through, I'm not going to be happy in heaven. Right. And, and, God, and so God's way is best. It, it is. It's better. It occurs to me, too, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Yet if a person doesn't sleep but dies and goes straight to heaven, where's Jesus' role as the resurrection and the right. life? You've just eliminated Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the devil is the master of moving Jesus out of the way, getting our dependence off Jesus and being self-sufficient. Yes. That's something to, that's something to, to, to guard against. So, so that, is there another? We're going to talk about the mark of the beast. Is there another teaching that you've well, identified? Well, the, the, when we've talked about the Sabbath, well, you know, why do most people don't you know, keep the different day? And so one of the fornications, these false teachings, is the issue of Sunday sacredness. Mm-hmm. Why, do you, why do most people keep Sunday? And there is history behind that. Uh, the history of the church, um, and so we go into that. You know what led the church, as it were, to say we change the solemnity of Sabbath to Sunday, because unfortunately, what we find is that most of our evangelical Christian friends are trying to find a scriptural reason for Sunday worship. Right, and 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 there is uh, eight passages in the New Testament that mention, and I and I we, we go over it in the book. And they say nothing about really Sunday uh, as a worship day. But they are ignoring the source. With respect, you know, the Catholic Church acknowledges, we changed it. And furthermore, in their own writings, they say there's no scripture backup for it. We only do it because we have the authority to do it. And, and they often criticize Protestants by saying, well, you know, they're, they're criticizing us because of the Bible and the Bible only, and they're, they're keeping a day that it only exists because we brought, up, brought it up. We changed it. It's pretty clear, isn't it, really? Indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's very clear. So that brings us to the mark of the beast. Over the years, you and I both have heard some very strange interpretations of the mark of the beast. And, and I want to say this before I go on with the mark of the beast. You look through the book, and what's really fascinating is there's so much history. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've mentioned this. People are ignoring the history. And when we look at where we are with Bible teachings today, and you look at Bible prophecy, if you keep history in view... It's really hard to go off the rails if, you, if you're faithful to uh, how history has brought us to where we are well, today. Well, like if, if we ignore where we've come from, we don't know where we're going. So. Yeah, that's very true. Mark of the beast, how does a person go about understanding that? Well, you know, um, first of all, is to, to turn off Hollywood uh, and everything uh, that you hear about that uh, the chip on your hand or in your forehead. More recently, I'm sure you've heard uh, COVID, 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 the, the vaccine. vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting that during the the COVID uh, um, fiasco, the the situation, I had received texts and, and emails from from fellow church members. Oh, you need to look at this video, Pastor. It talks about the, this vaccine. Could this be the market? I got asked the same thing. I was astonished. People who I felt like had more maturity than that. Yeah. You know, if it was someone who'd only ever had one Bible study, I, I understand. But these are people. Some of them church members for a long time, I was saying, could it be that the vaccine's the mark of the beast? And yeah. I'm saying, have you forgotten everything you ever learned? Well, you know, I, I, we talked about the fact that worship is pivotal in, in, in Revelation as an end-time issue. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, in other words, we're going to worship someone. We either worship God or we worship Satan. And when we worship somebody, we're, we're basically obeying that, that person, that being. Um, so when we look at the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast is not a physical thing. It's not like you be able to tell, oh, you know, you have the mark of the beast on your, on your hand or on your forehead. 
The mark of the beast, this is, uh, it has to do with your relationship with God or not, okay? The mark of the beast has to do, as we see, actually is re- actually related to the law of God. Mm. Do, we, do we follow God? Do we keep his law? Uh, do we obey him because we love him? Or, or we go along with the other side who is telling us, you know, this is what you need to do. And in my mind, um, John, you know, I always, when, when I thought about the mark of the beast, and how it will be the implemented, and, and really the role of the United States in that, I always, I believe it. You know, this is true, it's going to happen because the Bible says so. Yes. But I always wondered, how is it going to happen? We live in a, in a land of the free, we have a constitution, a bill of rights. Now, after the last two years, I've seen how easy this is going to be. We used to get asked in, in, in holding evangelistic meetings, how could this happen? We don't get asked that anymore. You know. Because now, the, now everybody has witnessed how the entire world can coalesce around a single issue. And I'm going to talk about the rights and wrongs of this, just the facts of this. And then see freedoms curtailed and rights removed and laws um, enforced or ignored or enacted or all of the above. Now we know that the world can quickly coalesce around a single issue. When people are afraid, they're willing to do just about anything got to it. feel safe. You got it. And, and even to give up their freedoms. You remember after 9-11, Absolutely. the Patriot Act, right? Yeah. You know, this was very controversial and the government, you know, listening in. But people were willing to give that right up because they, they felt threatened because of the terrorist attacks. And so we saw that. I think that we've seen that in, in, in COVID too. The government is, is trying to quote-unquote, protect us. And so this is what's best for you, is best for the citizens. And so when we think about the mark of the beast, it's not like one day we're going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden they're going to tell us, oh, you gotta, you got to keep Sunday now. Because if that happened, people would naturally oppose it. This has to happen little by little. Baby steps, as it were. Okay, Satan is conditioning everybody so when the time of the mark of the beast is implemented, that was the natural, most natural thing in the world. Yes, yes it's, 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 it's for the welfare of your family. It's for the welfare of society. Just like we saw for COVID. Now, whether, whether you agree with it or not, you know, this whole issue with mask and vaccine, that was the argument, okay? This is what's best for you. This is what's best for your neighbor, for your family. The same argument eventually will be used about the mark of the beast, and people are going to fall for it. Very, very strong argument, too. Don't you care about others? Right. Don't you care about grandma? Uh, don't be so selfish. You're part of a community. Um, hard argument to resist. Yeah. yeah. When, and, and I would say this with respect, with respect, because COVID was so devastating Indeed. and yes. so many lives were well, lost, families uh, torn apart. The mark of the beast is going to be a much bigger issue. Right. Far, far greater issue. There'll be more at stake. There'll be more uh, publicity. There'll be a brighter light shone on it, and the consequences will be severe. Yeah. So you don't want to see anybody receive the mark of the beast. You're a pastor. You want to see people saved. Tell me a moment. We, we, we only have a moment, but how can somebody face the future with confidence? And how can somebody find themselves in right relation with Jesus so that no matter what happens, they look forward with positivity? Well, you know, you know, not to sound simplistic, but, you know, you have to be, your faith has to be grounded in the Word of God. And I think we become so busy that we are compromising, that we're not spending time in the Word, and this is why there's so much confusion. 
it is no accident, again, that the first angel starts with the everlasting gospel. Yes, you need yes. to be founded on Jesus. You need to have a, a conversion experience, an intimate relationship with Christ, uh, a, salvif- a salvific relationship with Christ because you've accepted him as Savior and Lord. That's your foundation. Once you are secure in your and who you are and what Christ has done for you and, and you want to spend time with him in his word, he will reveal these truths to you. But, you know, when we come to the Bible, we must be willing to accept whatever it says. Even if it goes against our grain, we talked about how this affects our family sometimes. But if God is number one in our lives, and he should be, he should be the priority in our lives, then we are willing to do whatever he says because we love him and because obviously he wants the best for us. God wants to save everybody, okay? And this, these three angels' messages are pivotal in our final day preparation. So, you know, it's Jesus is what saves. You know, you understanding uh, the mark of the beast and all those things, it's not what's going to save you. That's correct. But if you're not prepared, if you don't know what's coming, you run the a risk of being deceived. This is why Jesus himself says in Matthew 24, many will be deceived. Why? Because they're not grounded on the word of God. If they were, they wouldn't be so confused about everything that's happening around. It's a great book. I encourage you to get it. You'll find it if you want to find it. Find it at the ABC or online on Amazon. The Present Truth and the Three Angels Messages by Pastor Nelson Mercado. It will take you deep. It is easily digestible and your understanding will be greatly enhanced as will your faith in Jesus. Question for you. Can we expect another book? Well, you know, I've been uh, thinking about what, what to do next and I had an idea about a book, but I was still wondering. I just didn't know what direction to go. And I asked God, Lord, which direction you want me to go? And this was actually happened a few weeks ago. And he led me into the fourth angel of Revelation 18. Amen. And so it's funny that I already have the the title in my mind, More Present Truth, the fourth angel's message. So I'm working on that. Pray about it. Pray for me so that I can... uh, uh, um, God will guide me in the research and everything. So hopefully that'll... Books are really easy. In theory. In theory. And then you sit down and write them, and the easiness disappears. Pastor Nelson Mercado, it's been a joy. Thanks. I appreciate your time. Uh, we wish you God's richest blessings in ministry, in writing, in wherever he takes you. He's certainly been leading your life. He continues to do so. We appreciate this time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. And thank you for being part of this program. What a blessing. He is Pastor Nelson Mercado. I'm John Bradshaw. And this has been our conversation. <laughs> 